Welcome to Beyond the Board, the podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind tabletop games. I'm Mike. I'm Spencer. And on today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing the themes behind the game Rising Sun. Rising Sun, the gigantic Kickstarter success that was last year? I guess the, the campaign was last year, and most people started getting their copies earlier this year. Uh-huh. And it's a pretty it's a pretty awesome game. It's It all takes place in feudal Japan. And you're not necessarily taking over territories, but you're trying to be in the places that are having battles so you can get honor and basically victory points. Yeah, it looks like it looks like a war game. There is it's a beautiful map of feudal Japan. There are miniatures that you're manipulating around based off of your clan and the allegiances that you hold and the betrayals and the backstabbing and it looks like a war gaming a war game, but it's not exactly a war game. It's not about conquering. Exactly. It has a lot of different sort of styles and mechanisms in play. It's a, it's a complex game. There's no doubt about that. But we've sat down and played it a couple times now and have had a really, really good time with it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the funnest parts about it is you can summon monsters to fight on the board for you. So you have all these monsters from Japanese lore and mythology that are fighting with you and your troops and your units and and fighting the other clans that you play with. But the other aspect of the game is the kami, the gods that you pray to, which is where you'll get benefits and bonuses in the game. That's right. So we mentioned that this is based off of feudal Japan, and then it also has the fantastical elements of the monsters that you can recruit and have a part of your army. And then it it absolutely has the embodied deities, the embodied gods there that you literally send figurines up to practice and, and worship. And so we thought it would be appropriate then. I mean, this game is filled with things that we could yes. have talked about. <laughs> but um, we are going to primarily focus on Shintoism, the, the the religion of Japan, and then the kami, the sort of spirits and gods that come from that, today's practices, and how that all somehow incorporates into the game. And I think part of the reason we did that is because I was just in Japan uh, I was just there. I spent a week there, and I got a chance to see a lot of this stuff in practice. So I was excited to come and talk about that. Yeah, so you're actually listening to version two of this episode because there was so much more information Spencer found out after he went to Japan. And he goes, I want to do this episode over. And we're like, okay. I felt, I felt like we had more to say. So here we go. Here's our second shot at it. Shinto. Shintoism. Let's let's talk about it. It is the traditional religion of Japan. It is ritualistic in practice, and it is, I mean, it is ancient. It, it goes back historically quite a ways, and we'll talk a little bit about history later. But primarily it's about worshipping these things called kami, or spirits. Mm-hmm. And the kamis, they're not, they are the deities and gods, well, some are. Uh, but they are the spirits of this natural world. They inhabit the grass, the trees, the wind, the water, and even the rocks of the world. And it may seem that they first, the Shinto at first practice that focuses on worshiping nature in a way, and that's particularly true, but it's really about the connection between ourselves and the spirits that make up the whole world and the energy that binds everything together. Yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't have a traditional text that one would point to and say this is the text that is the the definition of what our our religion is, what the practices are. 
you know, your equivalents of the, the Quran, the Bible, the Torah. None of, nothing like that necessarily exists. But still, there are so many old stories and practices and histories that have been passed on orally that most people have an idea of how it's practiced. And there are books now that, that outline a lot of this stuff. And in some of those books, it outlines the kami and the complexity of what they are. Because as Mike was saying, they're in everything. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, there are some of them that have been elevated. Some of them that are not just simply the spirits that inhabit this particular stream that's outside or the rocks that make up a particular structure in my backyard. There are some that have been deified, essentially. And the those particular kami will look familiar to you if you think about other religions, uh, older religions that had pantheons of gods, like the Greeks or the Norse pantheon of Romans or anything like that, where deities have roles. Mm -hmm. And you have gods that are more important than others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's almost like a hierarchy behind it. So these gods have roles, and this religion does worship these gods, but they also have a set of moral and ethical rules when Shinto has those as well. So they focus on being sincere, honest, and pure. And what we mean by pure is that they're actually talking about the cleansing of the spirit and the body. Uh, and we'll cover those little practices later. There's a whole ritual that goes along with going to these shrines and actually um, performing these rituals, which you've actually did. Yeah, I did. I got a chance to do some of them. And I think what you mentioned there, the concept of there being the, these guidelines for morals or ethics is really important here because, because Shintoism is still practiced today, and we'll, we'll talk about how it's still incorporated in modern-day Japan, those are the aspects that most people are thinking about today. Most people aren't looking out and thinking, oh, there are little spirits inside the rocks and in the trees and everything like that. But there are some really important core ideas in Shintoism about being respectful to one another, to, to be sincere and true in the things that you are. And that manifests in so many different ways. So it's old. It's an old religion. How old is it? Like we, said, like we said before, there's no core text. So it's hard to point to a specific date and be like, this is when somebody sat down and codified all the rules and said, here's Shintoism. There are books that are around like the late 17th century, and they give us some idea of when some of the stories that have been passed on orally. 17th? 7th. Thank you for catching me on that. Late 7th century. Uh, yes, far older. It's, absolutely, it's so easy to say like teenth and right. like 18th, 19th, but like 7th, it's that it's, old. It's very old. And that's only the early written documents. There, are, There's a lot of evidence, uh, archaeological evidence that shows that structured re religion has been in Japan for far longer, far older. And so uh, the practices of Shintoism likely have been in Japan for much longer than just the 7th century. Mm -hmm. uh, for a period... In that history, you can see some of the blending of outside influences, influences especially Buddhism, um, and how Shinto was actually practiced. But like you were saying, it's very structured nowadays. So they actually, the Japanese state adopted Shinto as their official practice. And they untangled the two, so they ripped apart, not ripped apart, but they separated Buddhism from Shintoism. Um, and now it's definitely a core ideal of Japan. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because when I was when I was traveling around, you would either go to what is distinctly a Buddhist temple, uh, or a Shinto shrine, and those were two very different structures, different practices. They have they have absolutely broken those two apart. But yeah, there was a period of time, a couple hundred years ago, where the ideas of Buddhism had incorporated their way into Shintoism, where, for example, the concept of the kami being just these spirits or these in some cases deities in Buddhism was kind of bringing about the idea of well maybe these are cycles part of the cycle of reincarnation and these deities are now experiencing a particular different uh, experience with nature and in the world and they are on their way towards uh, enlightenment but they haven't quite reached it and then other aspects are talking about how the kami are just manifestations of the Buddha in different ways and so there was this real blending going on for a period of time, but um, like Mike said, the Japanese state came in and said, no, we're going to kind of just make this pretty clear. And in doing so, secularized the, the, the religion in a lot of ways. But uh, we'll talk about exactly how it's practiced and why it's more secularized in modern Japan after a break. Are you ready to feast on culture like a bunch of orcs at a library? Prepare to consume high adventure at rates deemed safe by local apothecaries. It's Battlements! Battlements, the comedy comic that takes place within a unique fantasy world that turns traditional fantasy on its head. Join our heroes Shane the Necromancer, Hector the Mighty Warrior, Rail the Sly Thief, and Jean the Reluctant Cleric as they quest for glory, honor, and rent money. Revel as they fight for what is morally ambiguous. Gasp as they narrowly avoid danger that's totally not their fault. Be amazed by the mundane acts taken to ridiculous extremes. Flying farm animals, demonic house parties, dating advice, a recipe for decent abyssal seven-layer dip. All this and more with Battlements, bringing high fantasy to new lows. Updates every Thursday at battlementscomic.com. And we're back. Oh, thanks. How was your break? Relaxing. Really? No. <laughs> so we are talking about the practices of the Shinto. That's right. Religion. Uh, yeah, so when you first think of Shinto, if you haven't heard of it, or if you have, uh, you probably first think of a shrine. Mm -hmm. And the shrines of the Shinto religion are always led to by a gate. Uh, and this gate is called a tori, and that gate is used as a symbol of the Shinto. It's that one gate that, how would you describe it? It's like there are two posts. Yeah, there's two tall vertical posts, and then there is a, it's a horizontal post atop them, but it's not a flat. It has kind of a, a curve to it. It's almost like a bow, mm -hmm. um, but laid down into it. It's, it's far easier just to Google. <laughs> if you just Google the word Shinto and go to the images uh, search, you'll see, I mean, it'll be just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these shrines, and specifically the gate. I mean, it has been as adopted as the symbol of Shintoism. Yeah, and and to get a better idea, just understand that this is just a gate. There's no fence or anything. It's it's just considered just a gate. And these shrines are locations in which people and the kami can be connected to one another, like a spiritual little playground for 
for people. And it's generally a very positive attitude when you go to these places. They actually frown upon coming in with negative energies or if you have problems and you're looking to have problems solved. But we'll get to that a little later. Uh, so these are public spaces for people to come to, and they either make a co- an offering to Akami or or just feel connected. And I feel like that's why I would go. Is that I mean, that's probably why you went, just to... To, to experience it, yeah, because I, I'm not a practici- practitioner of Shintoism, but being in the shrines, they're in these incredibly beautiful places. Even the one that I went to that's in the heart of Tokyo was still somehow managed to feel secluded and very natural. And so it's a, it's a serene sort of environment to be in, akin to the, the Buddhist temples that I visited. But there was something different about the Shinto shrines because there were people there actively participating and practicing here rather than the the Buddhist temples which we could kind of only see from far away and nobody was engaging in necessarily the the Shinto shrines you saw lots of people be it a tourist or a native of Japan really engaged with this sort of place and it, it was kind of contagious which kind of ones did you go to which shrines did we go yeah. to we ended up going to a handful of shrines the the two in particular that I want to talk about uh, are uh, is the Inari Shrine, which is in Kyoto, and it's called, I think, like the Thousand Gate Shrine or something like that. I saw pictures of it. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's not at all what I was thinking. That's nuts. It's So, like, it's called the Thousand Gate Shrine, but really there's tens of thousands. I think I read, like, it's 32, but then somewhere else I read 40,000. It's an insane amount of these gates and so there's just one gate after another and they form these hallways these these stairwells that you're using to climb it's on a mountain so you're kind of climbing this mountain through this winding hallway of gates and it's the main shrine for inari which is one of the kami um particularly the kami of foxes so there are fox statues everywhere which is very exciting for me i love the animal <laughs> the fox and so there were foxes everywhere but anari is also the kami related to rice and agriculture but most importantly business business and prosperity in business so when you i mean i know you couldn't necessarily read all the symbols mm-hmm. but was it generally when you go through to say like papa john's and and popeyes and and Domino's Pizza, like so, yeah. On the on the on the gates, on one side would be the same thing written again and again. It was essentially kind of like a blessing, you know, like the the, the standard protocol of what one would write at a shrine for an ari. And then on the other side would be the name of the the company that bought that particular gate and like the date in which they did it. So. That's why there are so many gates here is because Inari is also attached to the concept of being prosperous as a business. Everybody wants to be on Inari's good side. So everyone <laughs> buys a gate and they've got like a, 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 a like a, a section with different prices for the gates, depending on how big of a gate you how want. How small were the gates? I only saw the giant ones that you could walk through and it felt like walking through a tunnel. Yeah. So there are those. There are some that are a little bit bigger than that and then there are there are little ones they're kind of almost like you can hold it in two hands and then you can kind of place them along the side or part as part of like some of the the stone structures that are uh the shrines along the way that you could like akin to those little like 
election signs that you put in the front yard? Yeah, I suppose so. Okay. In, in, in terms of size of things, it's somewhat similar to that. So there was a range in terms of sizes of the gates, but there was kind of the standard size that was the one that most businesses would, would purchase so that it could be a part of the that tunnel system that, that truly leads you from the base of this mountain up to the top. That's People are still buying. Yeah, and they I mean they had advertisements for the for buying the gates at the various resting points along the way cuz you know you're you're walking up and up and up and up. Eventually they hit a stopping point where there are a couple of shrines where people can practice, a couple of gift shops, <laughs> and then some advertisements for hey, by the way, if you want to buy a gate here, here's the prices for like the five different sizes that we offer. You should we get to be on the board gate? Yeah, I think the cheapest one was like a little less than $2,000. A little less than $2,000. Yeah. All right. Well, if you guys want to donate, exactly. just uh, email us at beyondtheboardpodcast.gmail.com. Exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll arrange something. <laughs> so that was one of them okay. that I went to. The other one I went to was in Tokyo. I mean, we went to a few, but the other notable one that we went to was in Tokyo, the, the Meiji Shrine which is dedicated to the emperor, Emperor Meiji and his wife. Uh, And it's in the middle of Tokyo in this kind of forested park that they have right in the core. Um, And it's not just a dedication because there is the concept from Imperial Japan in which the emperor or the empress is divinely wrought, divinely born or divinely created in some way. And so... The shrine is for the emperor and the empress, but in that they have now kind of become kami. Okay. And so the it's not just a place for people to come and uh, just be like, oh, that was a really great emperor. And I mean, that's part of it, but in some ways it is, that was such a great emperor that now they have kind of transcended beyond. Almost kind of adapting what the Buddhists were alluding to earlier. <laughs> um, so people would come there and pray to these old emperors of the past to be like, hey, protect our city, kind of. But in particular, just the one emperor. It's for Emperor Meiji and his, his wife. Because he was that great? He was that great. I mean, he was the one that kind of brought Japan back together to this idea of being an imperial state and everything like that. He's the one that got Shintoism set up as like the state practice and everything. So he was a big deal for Shintoism and also for Japan kind of coming together again as a strong nation. So, uh, yeah, he, let me tell you, those two shrines couldn't have been more different once I saw practice happening. Because you were, a lot of people were encouraged to participate at the Inari Shrine. I mean, you could buy in to, to a gate, for example, sort of thing. But it, it was in Kyoto, and it was in the outskirts of Kyoto, and so it was it was old, it was rustic, sort of thing. Um, the people that we saw in the middle of a particular practice were there, like we something was going on. We saw a bunch of people going, and we walked over, and in the main area of the shrine, you couldn't get in, but you could watch from afar. This is at the Inari Shrine? This is at the Meiji Shrine. Oh, okay. Um, they, all of the, the people, there was one kind of priest in, in traditional robes, and then all the rest of the people that were allowed inside to practice were in suits, the same kind of, like, black suit. And it was, that was a kind of a bizarre experience to see this, very ritualistic thing going on, but all in suits. So these, it's it really made it feel like it is the government's 
shrine. This is the government shrine. This is the government's religion in many ways. And these are government representatives that are here to kind of keep things going. Wow. Uh, so they were very different experiences. But what, uh, okay, so next we're going to talk about the actual washing ceremony, the mm. cleansing, the purity ceremony. Uh, w- was that different in both places? So we didn't get a chance to do it at the Meiji Shrine because it was we got there kind of late in the day. Also, it was raining, so not a lot of people were washing their hands anyway. So uh, the, the station was there, but nobody was really using it. But at the Inari Shrine, everybody was doing it, especially at, like, the base. You know, right at the beginning, there's a huge area for people to do a hand-cleansing ceremony. As, as Mike talked about earlier, there's this concept of purity or cleansing in, that's important in Shintoism. And you basically, there's, there's a fountain, and you get these ladles, and you pour, you fill your ladle, you pour some water from your right hand into your left, and your left hand then takes the ladle and pours it into the right and then you pour some more water in your left hand and you you put it in your mouth and you swish it around. You don't drink it. You just swish it around and you kind of wash your mouth a little and you spit it out and you let it all drain. And in doing so, you've kind of cleansed your hand, cleansed your, your body a little bit to enter the shrine so that you are going in clean and pure and ready to be uh, as connected as possible to the kami within. Now... I read, because I knew you would be able to describe it better because you actually went there, but I read that that you only use one scoop of water. You don't double dip, yeah. per se. That's uh, right. Okay. <laughs> you you ration out the one ladle that you pick up, so you're not like dumping a whole ladle's worth into each hand and into your mouth. It's a little bit in your hand, a little bit in your other hand, a little bit in your mouth, and then whatever's left, you kind of angle up the ladle to, to drain out. That's kind of nice that it shows that like reservation of of like basically cleaning yourself yeah so you're not just bathing in this water you're like okay this is this is only what i need Uh, that's that i really want to go it's it's like the core thing that we were we we had kind of mentioned earlier and it was in and all of these locations is this concept of being respectful or, or polite and every every japanese practitioner that i saw there followed that to the t the only exceptions were the random foreigners who decided to like go up and ring a bell really loud and kind of laugh about it and things like that, which felt out of place when you see all these people just trying to politely enjoy a practice that is not even necessarily something that they religiously have faith in, but it's just an important part of their day. It's an important ritual that is that is part of their culture. And so it's it's it was a little little upsetting to kind of see people come in and kind of like mess around with that sort of thing. So you clean yourself with the with the hand washing stuff and then after that you would leave a donation or you or you, like you said you would ring the bell mm-hmm. and that's only is it only after you clean? Yeah, so cleaning is like first first thing clean clean yourself and you i guess technically the first thing is to bow at the gate when you get to the gate now this is something that i read was you're not supposed to go through the gate right yeah you go around the you gate. you go around the <laughs> gate because the only people who are supposed to go through are the only beings who are supposed to go through the gate of the kami i saw a lot of people going around it's uh, almost just inevitable because there's so many people that people are just going through the gate at this <laughs> point like nobody was really following that because i mean it's tokyo and so everybody's just pushing everybody to get into a spot sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're supposed to bow at the gate and then 
leave a, an offering. It's a small little offering, um, and uh, and it's just a moment for people to be, like you said, at peace, at a, a connection with with nature, with with the kami, if that is something that they believe in. And so, uh, it's it was a very serene sort of place. And then on top of that, once you've kind of made your your offering, you clean yourself. There are a whole host of ways to kind of uh, vocalize or put down to to paper your wishes or prayers or desires or something like that. And there were a number of, you know, pieces of paper that you write and then you tie on to a post. Or there are these planks uh, planks of wood that you would uh, have your wishes or desires uh, written on and then you would hang up. I think I, I I like that image in my mind of a bunch of wishes and prayers on a piece of paper all tied to a like a single post that's that's a very iconic mm. image in my mind when i think of those shrines so that's interesting that you you got to see that yeah and the 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 plaque the you know the plaques of wood that everybody is writing on uh the, sometimes there's a little bit of flavor or differences between them for example at the inari shrine they were shaped like fox heads and they had just a little <laughs> bit of paint on them to indicate the eyes of the fox and the ears and then there was all this blank space for you to write in what you wanted, but also lots of people were drawing their foxes. They gave faces to the foxes oh. along with the wishes. And it, it was a kind of a cool little addition to it. It's just everyone understanding the, the playful nature of this particular animal and, uh, and as a result, the, the kami related to it. Um, very different vibe than at the suit-wearing shrine to the emperor sort of thing. <laughs> all right, so that's uh, Shinto as a religion. Very quick tour there's there's a lot more that goes into it, obviously. Um, but it's it's important to note that it's still practiced today. And compared to many nations, Japan is not particularly religious. Uh, but in terms of belief, practices are still done in a secular way by a huge portion of the population. About 80% of Japan's population uh, is reporting still to practice Shinto rituals, even though about 3% of the population actually consider themselves Shintoists. That's interesting. Yeah. You've got all these people there. There's tons and tons and tons of people at these shrines. And cut away all the tourists, and you still have a lot of Japanese people at these shrines. I and feel like it's the exact opposite with Catholics. I mean, I was I was raised Catholic, <laughs> but all these people say they're Catholic, but they barely go to church. <laughs> you got your Christmas at Easter where it's packed to the packed to the gills. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is kind of like an inverse of that. I, I, didn't, I never thought about that. <laughs> But yeah, it's still today, and like the modern suit ritual yeah. that I saw just shows that like it has incorporated itself in new and interesting ways. It has been influenced by so many things over these years. Well, I feel like it's such an important part of Japanese cultures to meditate, and I feel like this can be a form of meditation is to just get grounded and be like, okay, let's get back back to our roots, back to a pure state of mind. And that thing that my boss said earlier today that really made me mad, I'm just going to suck it up and I'm just going to I'm going to remember the good things and and really take that good energy and run with it. Absolutely. It's a great escape. That's a great way of thinking about it. Okay, so what does any of this have to do with Rising Sun? Well, there are the kami in Rising Sun and they are they actually manifest in the game and that there are shrines on the board and you can send some of your your troops, some of your resources, some of your people in your clan up there to worship them. In doing so, you'll get some sort of 
of a blessing if you're the best worshiper, mm-hmm. essentially, if you worship the most. You have to have the most of your troops in there worshiping. They're very specific worshiping troops. Yeah, there are. Yeah, and if you have the most there, then you get the bonus from that god. They're like, ah, I, I like you, or the, that kami. And they're like, I like, I like this clan because because they're the most here. They paid their dues, and uh, and you get bonuses like more money or um, extra fighters in battle, or you can move anywhere on the board. And we won't go into it because there are a lot of kami that we could talk about. Yeah. And maybe in a future episode we'll we'll do that, but. But for now, I think we're going to leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty quick but a pretty decent overview of what Shintoism is all about. And, and yeah, it is absolutely relevant to, to Rising Sun. It's the whole top of the board are these 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 kami. So now maybe you have an, a better understanding of why in Rising Sun, if you're sending some of your troops up there, what exactly it is that they're doing up there. Mm-hmm. And I think in the expansion that you got, you can actually – have the kami on the board. Yeah. Which is also a very exciting thing, which I'm sure we'll do a follow-up episode about the expansion, which would be, a, because there there's so much information, so much really fascinating information about this. Uh, but that's what we got. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening to Beyond the Board. If you guys have any questions, or gals have any questions or comments, send them to beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at goingbtb. Or you can hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcast, or leave a review. We like hearing from you. And with that, just remember that if you go to any Shinto shrines, just make sure you're respectful and peaceful. And be peaceful in your own life. You deserve it. Karen. This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening.